Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. God is treating you as His children. A good parent does not discipline a child because he or she is angry. That's bad parenting. Why does a parent discipline a child? Because it's what the child needs to become their best. It's an inconvenience for me to have to discipline my child, but I do it to bring out the best in my children. God takes no pleasure in having to be rough with you, but sometimes he has to in order to make you into the person that God needs you to become. Then it goes on, for what children... Now, this happened all over the United States, though, but back then it wasn't happening. For what children are not disciplined by their father? According to Scripture, if God does not discipline you, it's because you don't belong to him. A parent said to, to, to his child when spanking was legal, he said, you know, I, I only spank you because I love you. The child responded... It says, well, do you have to love me so much? <laughs> and you ever feel like that before God? Like, Lord, do you have to love me this much? Yes. Back to Deuteronomy 8 and 7. For the Lord your God is not disciplining you for discipline's sake. The purpose is to bring you into a good land again. God uses hard times to prepare us for better times. Establish the right disciplines while you're in the back of the line, and you'll know how to behave when you get to the front of the line. It's all preparation. It's not because God's arm is somehow weak or short. He's trying to teach you something, train you in the way to go. Verse 9, this good land is a land in which you will eat bread with, without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. A land where stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. In here in, in 8 and 9, he's talking about a land with the abundance of water, different from Egypt who, who could only use the Nile. There was an abundance of food and mineral resources. And when the Iron Age and the Copper Age would come, that the resource would already be in the hills of the nation. And you shall eat and be full and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land. The what land? The good land he has what? Given you. God's goal is always to take us to a good place. But sometimes the journey has to take us through some hard places to get to the good place. Verse 11. Take care lest you what? Forget. The two key words in Deuteronomy chapter 8 all the way through are the two words remember and forget. You know, when facing poverty, the greatest temptation or illness is to give up. But when you're walking in prosperity, the greatest temptation is to forget. To forget how far God brought you. To, to forgive, for, to forget from whence you came. And what God is doing is training them so they won't forget. What you're going through right now is a memory aid. It's not God's lack of ability. He's trying to drill something into your thinking 
That it's God alone that can keep you. It's God alone that can provide for you. It's God alone who loves you. That God is miraculous. That God is able. And and you see, if you think that you did it on your own, you're going to celebrate, praise yourself, get the big head when you step into prosperity. So God said, for your own good, I got to lead you this way. It's no, God does not enjoy this. He does not enjoy making you hunger and then feeding you. He doesn't enjoy that, but he he knows it's best for you. So, so he'll, he'll get you in a situation where your need is so great and you're facing the impossible such that in that moment you can learn that it's God that brought me through. It's God that's faithful. It's God that's for me. It's God that brought me into the land of promise. And here's the problem with some of you. I was trying to be nice this morning, but it's just not working. You reach the apex too quickly. You see, you got to where you were going based on the world standards, and then you met God. You see, the world didn't care about your character. All it was concerned about was your gift. But then you met Jesus, and all of a sudden you start going back and say, how does that happen? Because God is not like the devil. The devil will take the best of you, then kick you to the side and just let you rot. But God is a father. And he's not just trying to get his kids to get good grades. He wants the kids to have good character, to have good hearts and, and a right spirit. So you went up here the world's way, but now the problem is you're in the kingdom. And all of a sudden, God brought you back down to where you belong. Not because he doesn't love you, so he can build it. But you see, when God builds the house, there's no wind strong enough. There are no waves high enough. So what he's doing, he's building you up God's way, where what you have is immovable and shakable, that no matter what happens in the world, he got it because it's built it on a rock and on a foundation that comes from God. Some of your marriages were built on lust, attraction, and all the rest. Then life found you out. And now Jesus is here to pick up the piece and say, now, now, now let's build this right. Let's build this on unconditional love. Let, 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 let's build this on forgiveness and mercy. Let's build this instead of what this person can give to you, but what, what, on, on what you can give to that person. Let's reorient this thing. And, and sometimes, you know, it's, it's kind of like when my mother uh, used to braid my sister's hairs, uh, heads. And, and, you know, when you braid the hair... You know, when you mess up, you got to go back to the place of the mess up. You got to unbraid it to the place of the mess up. And what God is doing in our lives is He's unbraiding our lives to the place of the mess up. But He's then braiding it back. But He's doing it His way and the right way. Verse 17. Beware lest you say in your heart, in your mind and imagination. See, this is the whole thing God was dealing with. Matter of fact, go up to 13. And when your herds and flocks multiply. See, this is what God's after. And your silver and gold is multiplied. And all you have is what? Multiplied. How many times did he say multiply? <laughs> He's trying to say that, that his goal is to multiply us. It's his ultimate intention. But you got to stay on track. But when this happens, skip to 17. Beware, lest you say in your heart, in your mind, in your 
imagination. My power and the might of my hand. It was my good education. It was, you know, I'm raised better than other people. It's because, you know, I'm just smarter than the next guy. Beware lest you say in your heart, it's a heart issue. The whole thing was a heart issue. My power, my might have gotten me this wealth. All God is asking for from the children of Israel was that when he put them on top, don't trip. All God is asking of you is that when he can finally multiply you and put you on top, don't trip. Recognize the one who bought you, the one who brought you, and the one who is taking you to where you need to go. 18, you shall remember the Lord your God. You must continue to recognize prosperity can be the greatest test a person could ever experience in life because it gives you an illusion that you don't need God. For you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you what? Power to get what? Wealth. In spite of the fact your last pastor may have told you this. The Bible does not say that God gives us wealth. That's not what it says. It says he gives us the power or the ability to get or produce wealth. So God has given, I don't care what your circumstances say, God has given each of his covenant children the ability. Now the issue is we have to work that ability. But we each have an ability a special contribution to make to the planet and our world. And when we discover it, all of a sudden, things we need begin to show up. Scripture says that he gives us the ability to produce or get what? Wealth. There's another place we make a problem. Wealth is different than money. Wealth is not you looking good, it's what you own. Now, great house, great car, but you about one paycheck, one paycheck, and the bank going to come take it all back. Wealth is not when you put on a good show. Wealth is, is when you own your assets. And your assets are greater than your liabilities. God is not trying to, his covenant is not to give us bling. It's to give us wealth. Am I in the book? And over the next 10 weeks, we're going to learn about this wealth thing. For it is he who gives us the power or ability to get what? Wealth. Is that in the book? Now pay attention to this next statement. That he may confirm, endorse, or verify his covenant. Now, I know there are Christians in the room, but for the Bible believers in this room, this verse is for you. That he might confirm his covenant. Is that what it says? He gives us wealth that he might what? Confirm his what? He gives us signs and wonder. No, wait, wait, wait. He gives us, uh, he gives us what? That he might confirm his covenant. He gives us a shandala that he might confirm. All those things are good. But. Proof of our covenant, according to the Bible, according to Moses, was wealth. Wealth confirmed and substantiated the Old Testament covenant. 
Imagine if we weren't so Christian and we became biblical. Listen, there are poor Jewish people in the world. But it's amazing that thousands of years after Moses wrote this, God's chosen people are disproportionately prosperous. The proof of his covenant with Israel was material prosperity. But watch this, though. Watch this, though. Let's go. Let's go. Hebrews 7 and 22. I know I'm treading on, on some funny ground here, but I'm in the book. Not only that, I'm not just in a verse. I read the whole book every year. I'm in a whole lot of verses. You see, in the Old Covenant, and this will help you understand why God did some of the things he did in the Old Covenant that he's not doing regularly in the New Covenant. In the Old Covenant, the promises were material. It was about land, real estate. The blessing was material, and that's why he talked about the patriarchs, and they, you know, and they became rich, and they became very rich. And, and the, the, the blessing was, was primarily material. And even their, their, their worship and sacrifice, it was what material lambs, it was material cows and bulls, and, and you would bring your material to God. And, and there's place for that in the, the, the new covenant, but the, the, the problem was God, the Bible says God found fault with that covenant. And because Jeremiah says that in the Old Testament. And because of that, that covenant was temporary until God can bring a more full and greater covenant. And that's why in the fullness of time, our Jesus, our Messiah, the Savior of the world came. But until that time, God released covenants in the earth to keep us until the, the, the full promise could come. And God had to do things in the earth before Jesus came, lest there be no earth, because we would have ruined it, destroyed it, and God's people also would have been wiped out. Let's take a look at Hebrews 7 and 22. This is in black letter in your Bible, meaning you could, you, you, can, you could bank on this. This makes Jesus the guarantor of an inferior, a better, what? A better covenant. Some people confuse me. They're going back to Judaism, to an inferior covenant. It makes no sense. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. According to Scripture, because of the cross of Jesus Christ, we have a better, superior covenant with God. Guess what better means in the Greek? Better. Let's read another. Matter of fact, let's, let's go to Matthew 13 and 17. Let, let's listen to what Jesus says about what the prophets say about us. Then we'll go to another verse in Hebrews, and we'll begin to wrap up after that. The master is speaking, for truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it. They were under inferior covenants. They were under covenants based on works. Others were, uh, Abraham did have a covenant based on faith, but under Moses it was based on works. And, and, and folks wanted to see this, this greater covenant that would come on the earth where men's sins would be forgiven and, and the change would first happen on the inside before it happened on the outside. In the old covenant, all they had in some places was stuff, but they still had a war going on in their hearts. And, and these men, they wanted to see. And Scripture also says, and they wanted to hear, but they did not hear it. The Old Testament saints were in awe of what God provided for us based and because of the blood of Jesus Christ. When we are not only heirs of material blessings, but the Bible says he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. 
that we are partakers of spiritual blessings. Let's look at it this way, if you're having a problem with getting these covenants in mind. Remember that Joseph had to divorce Mary. But how many of you know that he wasn't married to Mary yet? They were engaged. But the covenant of engagement was very, very strong in the ancient world. And it was still largely a covenant. So there was this, this, this engagement, but then later came marriage. We can say that in the Old Testament, humanity was engaged to God. But when Jesus came, he started talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb. We stepped into a better covenant. Engagement kept certain people's hands off the bride-to-be. It had its place and function. But you couldn't go into your private chambers until you got into the covenant of marriage. And we cannot go into that holy place behind the veil until the blood was shed. Covenant was made through Christ Jesus. And then we stepped into a superior agreement or covenant. So in the Old Testament, there were numerous covenants, and it was basically the dating process. But you know, I enjoyed looking at my wife when we were dating. But once we got married, I really enjoyed the bedroom. You hear what I'm saying? Okay, y'all don't know what to do with that. We now have access to the most holy place, the secret place of God, under the shelter of the Most High. We have intimate communion and fellowship with God. I mean, if I had to give up all the material blessings, I would give it up for the spiritual. But God's not required us to do that. In fact, why would you? Hebrews 8 and 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry. I just want to give you two witnesses this morning. That is much more excellent. It didn't just say more excellent. It said much more. Didn't it? Exceedingly, much more excellent. Now, excellent in itself means excels. So it's much more excelling than the old covenant. Then the old, as the covenant he mediates, is better. So we have a better covenant. Since it is enacted on better what? Promises. Our New Testament has better promises than the Old Testament. The New Testament is a fulfillment of what Jeremiah prophesied, that he'll no longer write his, his, his commands on, on tablets of stone, but in the fleshly hearts of man. Our new covenant has better promises. It's better in every way, in every area, and in every respect. Let's go to 3 John 1 and verse 2. And I got to where I'm going very quickly this morning, and we're going to wrap up here. I want you to hear it from the mouth of an apostle. How many believe that Scripture is the heart of God? Okay. Let's listen to the, the, the heart of the Father. 3 John chapter 1 and verse 2. Only one chapter, though. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper. Is our heavenly Father sitting in heaven hoping we fail? Mm -mm. No good father does that. Matter of fact, Jesus says it this way, you know, you, you, know, you, you guys are fathers and, and, and y'all are evil. But would any good father have a son ask for a piece of bread and you give him a stone? And then he goes and lists a few different things. 
And, and he says, listen, if y'all being evil know how to give good gifts to their children or your children, how much more the Father in heaven? And if we as natural mothers and fathers are pulling for our children, how dare you think that our God in heaven is somehow up there with a fly swatter just waiting for the first opportunity to swat us and make us fail? The beloved apostle here is the very heart of God. He says, I pray that you may prosper or I want you to flourish in all, does it say all? All things. Not just in spiritual things, but also in practical matters. In fact, you'll discover the practical matters are more spiritual than you thought. And be in health, but pay attention to this. Here is the, the, the New Testament addition, if you will. Or enlargement, better put. Just as your soul prospers. The prerequisite for prosperity is the condition of your soul, the condition of your heart. When our souls prosper, then our lives can prosper. Get the soul right, circumstance will start to fall in line. Listen, all who live godly in Christ are going to suffer persecution. We're going to all go through stuff. As long as we're in this world, stuff is going to happen. But I'm in the book. I didn't give you my opinion. Let me read it again so I can get it in your spirit, and we're going to wrap. Beloved, I pray that you may what? Prosper in all things and be in health, just as your what? Soul prospers. We're going to spend a number of weeks laying this thing down line by line so you understand what the Scripture speaks and says about you succeeding both spiritually and financially. But let me give you some facts just out of the gate. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.